We'll continue now from the seventh verse of, Rome, of uh, Revelation 11. When the testimony is finished, when the testimony of those who are measured and approved, tested and approved, uh, who then put on display the finishing work of Christ. They are like Christ, they're clothed with Christ, clothed with His purpose, clothed with His authority, clothed with His identity. Their coming forth is a prelude to the separation between those in the court of the Gentiles um, and those in the Holy of Holies. Some from the court of the Gentiles will, upon seeing the perfect standard, will long for it. And even some from the world will long for it as well. They will say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. There's no indication that the whole earth will do that, nor is there any indication that all of those in the court of the Gentiles will do that. So the separation will occur. Among those in the court of the Gentiles will be still those who at one time had a connection to the truth but fell away. This will be a time for them to be renewed Many will fall and be refined, the scriptures say. But some, the refinement of some will not come until the millennium, where they are assigned a portion with the unbelievers. They're excluded from those who are uh, given the right, given the inheritance given the clerou, the clergy if you like, which is by no means, by no means a reference to uh, those who, who preach, who say they are the clergy. That, that's an attempt to apply a biblical principle to an unbiblical order or form. The clerou, from which we get the word clergy, is a reference to those who have an inheritance, an allotment. It's actually the meaning of clerou, an allotment as in a lot of land, uh, an allotment of land, and um, synonymous with having received an inheritance from the Father. Uh, you've been robbed of so many things and you've been robbed by thieves and robbers, institutional creations of Satan that would minimize your standing as the sons of God and maximize the effect of the false. And by the way, that's what we're dealing with today, where the false, the trivial, the immature, are collected together as this mob and the leaders 
have lost control of the mob. They're doing, the mob is doing what the mob wants to do. Uh, parenthetically, and I won't go down this trail, uh, I'm reminded of, the poet, of the, that poetic reference by W.B. Yeats, who wrote early in the uh, 1900s and wrote in the context of the First World War and the coming of the First World War. He wrote the words in, in a poem called The Second Coming, turning and turning in a widening gyra or circle, the Irish term for circle, turning and turning in a widening gyra, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. I'm looking at this riotous mob comprised of unbelievers and Christians alike and generally referred to as a Christian mob uh, assaulting a nation. Look, you've got to wake up at some point. This thing has gone beyond the control of the leaders, the ones who stirred it up, the folks who kept calling uh, the outgoing president uh, Cyrus. No, he was Nebuchadnezzar. These false ones who prophesied a second term. I'm bringing prophetic scripture into the present order of things. So you have a way of gauging and measuring. Because you see, whenever someone does not continue to pursue growing and maturing in Christ, they inevitably default to earthly things. And in America, I have seen, I've witnessed with my own eyes, both those who once walked in the truth and those who never cared to walk in the truth, they go back and they embrace, they embrace nationalism and they embrace the security of a tribe, whether black or white. But that's what the scripture said would happen in the last days. It said it would be ethnos against ethnos. The Greek term ethnos has been translated race. It's, a, it's ethnic. Why are we surprised? How is it we don't understand when the thing is so clear before us? An unbelieving mob comprised of those who name the name of Christ have a form of godliness, but they rely on the power of their armed might. This isn't the body of Christ. These are delusional people. These are people who do not represent Christ, but their leaders stirred them up and the leaders are pastors. To the very end, many of these so-called prophets kept telling the people that God was going to pull uh, 
take out his magic wand and wave it and their desires would come to pass. We have the croaking of uh, certain preachers on, on television, easily identifiable, easily checked upon, in which they were supposedly laughing at the idea that uh, someone else won the, won the presidential sweepstakes. Fools and blind, false and hypocritical. They've stirred a mob and in their crazed frenzy, this blood-dimmed tide, to quote Yeats, W.B. Yeats, is delusional and it thinks that it represents God. So we're right there already. These things are unprecedented. Now, the Bible says that in these days people will see and they won't see. They'll hear and they won't hear, neither would they understand because they only want to see what they want to see. They only want to hear what they want to hear and if you're not telling them what they want to hear, this mob will run you over. But it isn't the end yet. It isn't the end yet. It's the beginnings of sorrows. The end is not yet. This chaotic happening simply sets up the legitimacy of the persecution that comes down hard in the name of order, in the name of the preservation of nations, and giving rise to the fulfillment of Scripture that says, and you, speaking of the true representatives of Christ, you will be hated by all the nations because of me. When that occurs, you see, no one will speak in the defense of the persecuted ones. It will be as if they deserve it. I have been saying these things for decades. The time of these things not only has come, they're unfolding right in front of us. But as clear and as obvious as they are, most people miss it. Most people don't want to hear. Even these messages, clear and obvious as it is, it will hurt the ears of those who are deceived. It will. But that's the nature of deception. It cannot abide the truth. Now, in this environment, the backlash will come. It won't come immediately. 
the separation comes first. And then the accreditation of the naos of God, the accreditation of those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High, who abide under the shadow of the Almighty, who do not put their confidence in the arm of flesh, who do not see themselves as patriots or of any nation, but see themselves first and foremost as citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven, who do not rely on race as the basis of their togetherness and security, they will have a turn in the spotlight to put on and to put on display the full characterization of Christ at that point then. See, the enemy is not particularly concerned about a mob. He's not particularly concerned about those who do not accurately represent Christ. Even the enemy knows that this mob doesn't represent Christ, so he's not apt to move swiftly uh, to to shut them down. They're no threat to him. He thrives in chaos. He loves warfare and he loves strife. So he will countenance it. But God will swiftly cause to arise that which truly represents him, to hold this template before the rest of humanity. When that happens, the mob will be distinguished from the functioning kingdom of God. And when that happens, the enemy will realize how late in the day it has become. when they finish their testimony. I want to to focus for just a bit on those words, when they finish their testimony. The word finish there is the word teleos, T-E-L-E-O-S, teleos. And it literally means to complete. Now, in in an adjective form describing the noun, you may have a perfect man or a complete man, in which case that's the teleos, the, the intended result of God, that there be a man in the image and likeness of Christ. This is a corporate man, this is not an individual. Hence, I believe that so much of this reference to the kingly, priestly anointing, which is unmistakable by the connection to Zechariah, Zechariah 4, Zechariah 6, both of which speak of uh, the, the two sons of oil or the two anointings typified by the two olive trees, the two lampstands. And again, 
always two bearing witness, verily, verily, presenting the royal priesthood, both in Zechariah 4 and Zechariah 6. The crown is given to Joshua, the priest, but a crown is typically reserved for a king. So in the heart of the restoration of the order of Levi, because they're coming back out of Babylon, you have the restoration of the order of Melchizedek, the restoration of the symbolism of the order of Melchizedek, because Levi's relevance is that it carries forward the types and shadows that relate to Melchizedek, because it's the once and future order of things. So uh, Levi actually and the Levitical order contains rich references by way of types and shadows to Melchizedek, because every everything that represents an antecedent, a thing that comes before, has only the relevance of carrying the representation of the thing that comes after. So, and until the thing comes, that which comes before, the value of that which comes before is a type and shadow. So, until Christ came and in whom is the fullness, the compendium, he's the high priest of, after the order of Melchizedek, you'd have the type and shadow of the priest uh, in, in the order of Levi, and until the temple, the naos of God comes, you'll have the type and shadow of the, of the Hyrian or the, the physical temple in Jerusalem. Until the people of the promise arise, you'll have the Ark of the Covenant, and so on and so forth. But when they do arise, the Scriptures say, when they finish their testimony, that is the key, because this is the point at which there is a disclosure of the teleos, the fullness of the statue that belongs to Christ, the measurement of the temple, or the measurement of the naos, culminates with the demonstration of what has been measured. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God said out of heaven, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove, and then He's taken up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil to put on display the assertion of God relative to who He is. He's already complete, now I'll show Him to you in the testing by the devil uh, uh, so that you may know that he's already complete. So in that sense, when they finish their testimony, um, and I'm going on a bit on this because uh, it's a reference to that which is perfect, that which is uh, it's the consummate human integrity and virtue, uh, it's substantively that which is perfect, it is substantively the consummate human integrity and virtue, and this is the reference found in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, 
brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifices, wholly acceptable, completely acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, it's, it's also uh, the word teleos also refers to, uh, of men it refers to a full-grown adult of full age. Uh, a reference would be in Hebrews 5 verse 14, and uh, until we rise up to the same level of knowledge that we ascribe to a full-grown man, until we are likened to the full-grown man, this is the principle of Ephesians 4.13, to the fullness or completeness of the stature that belongs to Christ. So it's an absolute fulfillment, namely the perfect, the more intelligent, ready to apprehend divine matters according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6 and it, in, it, it's marginally referred to in the Revised Standard Version of the full-grown man as opposed to the weak or the immature. Such a man has the mind and character of one who has the proper height of virtue and integrity. Again, for your, for your study references, Matthew 5, 48, Matthew 19, 21, Philippians 3, 15, and James 1, uh, verse 4. But then all of these, in a sense, are physical references to what is the essential pursuit, which is in an absolute sense, this mature man is the one in whom if you see this man, you will see the Father. And that's of course Matthew 5.48. As respect, and it is about understanding and goodness. I wanted to take a moment to establish something of the teleos, the complete man, because it is what is prophesied and scriptures make it abundantly clear that such a man is what the earth is designed to produce. And here we have, just before the beast comes up out of the abyss to, to wage war against this man, we see him as finishing his testimony. I wanted to put the brakes on, as it were, <coughs> in our study of the symbols of the book of Revelation and to remind you that as well as any other book in the scriptures, the book of Revelation sets forth the original intent of God. It just does so in prophetic format that allows us to see the matter spoken of previously and spoken of elsewhere throughout the scriptures finally come to 
fulfillment. It is like God never to leave a matter unfinished. He doesn't just say, let us make a man in our image and likeness and doesn't revisit it. You see, when he says it, he sets in motion in creation the thing he's going to do. Now it ought not be surprising that when he declares the matter as complete, he does so in the context of prophetic scripture. Why? Because prophetic scripture, particularly the book of Revelation, speaks of the summarizing of all things, the summation of things. So when their testimony, when they finish their testimony, they're living the reality of the teleos man, of the finished man, of this accurately formed man as measured by the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. This measured naos, this measured dwelling place of God presented behaves and acts in a fashion that draws together the law and the prophets. It, it, uh, uh, Elijah is the archetypal prophet or the archetypical prophet, so uh, the reference is that he shuts up the heavens so that it doesn't rain as in, as in the days of Elijah. And Moses is the summation of the prophets. He is the archetypal prophet. So the law and the prophets were fulfilled in Christ exactly as was presented at the beginning of the ministry of Christ when he was taken, when he took uh, Peter, James and John with him up to the mountain of transfiguration and there he appeared in company with Moses and Elijah. And so now, you see, and then of course Moses was taken away, Elijah was taken away, leaving Christ as the summation of all that the law and the prophets spoke about. So now here we have the, this corporate man who summarizes the, the things that happened in the law and the prophets as represented by Moses, as represented by Elijah and as modeled in Christ, now it's perfected. So we have the teleos man, the corporate man, we have the son who represents the father, the finished work of Christ observable in this man who finishes his testimony. It was always going to be that, that this man would finish the testimony of Jesus Christ who is the man in the image and likeness of God Himself. And when that happens, just as in the days of Jesus, the beast arises because he knows that his time is short. He knows that whatever delusional view he has of somehow winning this battle against God, 
in, that, in this he's going to have to move swiftly because his time is short. That's what we'll encounter uh, in the rest of it. I'm Sam Solon. We'll continue our study in Revelation uh, relative to the book, uh, to, relative to chapter 11. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.